when you're a young girl, obviously we know that we navigate like a lot of seismic changes at the same time. Like you don't like how your body looks, you don't fit in at school, your crush doesn't notice you, and your interests are often like dismissed for being too juvenile or like too insignificant in the grand scheme of things by adults that you try to talk to. So the themes behind these magazines would really like validate that what teen girls were going through and what we were interested in were all like worthy of being treated with like sensitivity and care. Welcome to Making the Brand, the podcast where marketing and pop culture collide. I'm your host, Brianne Fleming. I can't wait to chat about brands, boy bands, and everything in between, because brands who have a pulse on pop culture can create adoring fans of their own. Welcome back to the Making the Brand podcast. If you've listened to the show before, you know that I love to relive my teeny bopper days, which were really colored by the teen magazines I used to read in my bedroom, which is why I'm so excited to talk to Angel Martinez today because she wrote this amazing article for Vice called The Teen Magazine Raised an Entire Generation of Girls. Where is it now? So we're going to get into that. But first, I want to welcome Angel to the show. Hi, Angel. Hi. So excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. This is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be reliving our teenage years, and that's always a blast, (laughs) right? (laughs) Well, I really enjoyed your article. We're going to get into that. I, I had a friend send it to me, and it's something that I really resonated with. But Uh, First, I'd love if you could introduce yourself and share what inspired you to write this article. Yeah, sure thing. Hi, everyone. I'm Angel Martinez. I'm an editorial fellow at Continentalist, which is the Singapore-based data storytelling agency. I also freelance for publications like Vice, ID, CNN Philippines, and many more. And my work mainly revolves around the internet, identity, and their intersections. So as you can tell, my life is heavily shaped and surrounded by the written word. And one of the main reasons behind that is because I grew up with teen magazines. So shortly before I pitched this article to my editor, I noticed that there was this newfound appreciation for these titles, courtesy of the younger generation (laughs) Mm -hmm. saying that just makes me feel so ancient but yeah (laughs) these kids have really started appropriating like y2k aesthetics in everything you know like experimenting with vibrant and bold elements in their clothing in their art and i think in the process they've rediscovered the teen magazines of our yesteryears and we're just starting to take notice of how massive its impact was in the lives of those who grew up with them so once I saw this phenomenon like going on, I thought of writing this tribute to the teen magazine, both as a way to inform members of Gen Alpha that, hey, like this was such a big deal in their heyday, but also yeah. give millennials and older members of Gen Z this trip down memory lane. So yeah, that's what inspired me to write it. That's awesome. And I had no idea that it was actually a topic that you pitched. I just assumed that it was assigned to you or, you know, they they were looking to cover this. So this was something you genuinely wanted to cover and Vice went for it. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, let them know that I love it. I, I want more people to read it. I'm going to link to it in the description of this episode. But 
Uh, I'd love to know what your personal experience was with with teen magazines. And I, I don't know about you, but I think that for me, these teen magazines kind of inspired me to go down this creative path. Uh, that's when I kind of realized I liked writing too and advertising. I ended up becoming an advertising major. So what was your experience and and did these teen magazines kind of pave your career path? Yeah, definitely. From a young age, I always knew I wanted to become a writer. And at first I tried my hand in fiction because I was very fond of fairy tales, but I quickly realized that even though I enjoyed reading those stories, they weren't exactly my favorite ones to make. Mm -hmm. I was very big on chronicling events from my daily life and like trying to dissect everything that was happening around me and also providing like advice to imaginary readers or something. So I discovered magazines like Total Girl or Candy when I was like six or seven, and they really validated that the things I wanted to write about were important. And impactful. And that's exactly what I get to do for a living today. So I really do credit them for that. But outside of career aspirations, I can say that teen magazines met so many of my needs at different stages of my life. Like when I was much younger, all I wanted was to be cool. And that meant being seen in the hallways of my school with the latest issue of Total Girl or Candy, or even like being featured or interviewed, which is something that I thankfully got to do when I was younger. And then when I entered my teen years, what was important to me was just to like not be like other girls. You know, like I wanted to yeah. be edgy. I wanted to be different. And I discovered Rookie at this point of my life. And through them, I kind of like refined my tastes in pop culture because I was watching all of these films and listening to these underground artists that my peers had not heard of. Like it was so satisfying for me then to be able to say that my favorite song was Fade Into You by Mazzy Star. And <laughs> My classmate would look at me with this dumbfounded expression and be like, oh, my God, I've never heard of them. And I'd be like, yeah, you don't read Rookie. Like, that's the point. <laughs> yeah, those magazines definitely are what kept us up to date. I love how you said that it like just carrying it around. It was kind of this cool status factor. And I feel like that's largely what these magazines were were teaching us or just giving us this guidance about, um, as you mentioned in your article, about glamour and just how to be cool, which is probably a little overrated. I think we're all cool in our own ways, but <laughs> these magazines like really sold the dream and and really kind of portrayed uh, this these different types of images to aspire to. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I remember I even became like more cognizant of social issues because of magazines like Rookie or even the newer editions of Teen Vogue. And to this day, I kind of feel the impact these teen magazines had in my life because when I meet this young and like brilliant girl my age, and I have like this feeling that, hey, like she was probably a total girl or a candy girl growing up. And I find out that that's it. Like we grew up on the same teen, mag teen magazine. Like it kind of creates this sense of community and like this instinctive bond between the both of us because like that's why I'm so comfortable around you because like we're literally bonded by this one thing that was such a big part of our childhood or adolescence so yeah yeah it was like our lifeline to the outside world I mean pre-social media that's really how I mean we always could watch tv and get news that way but there wasn't really a lot of news or um content, if you even want to call it content in the 90s, uh, <laughs> at the time that was geared to us and felt like it was just made for us. 
Um, yeah. So I think that's really special. And I'm, I'm glad you're helping to keep it alive or at least to shed light on, you know, what impact these magazines had on all of us. But we're seeing now that, yes, fewer and fewer print magazines are on the shelves. I just read that uh, Allure magazine just had its last print edition. Uh, the December 2022 issue is the very last one. Um, but you mentioned in your article that there are Tumblr accounts and Twitter accounts that are keeping this nostalgia alive. So can you tell us more about that and what that scene looks like and what those creators are doing on these platforms? I spoke to Phil Australia from Glossy Archive, which is the super popular Twitter account based here in the Philippines. She's been scanning pages from her super sizable collection of magazines from the late 90s to the early 2000s. And since like print is admittedly long past its prime, sadly, um, and there isn't exactly an extensive collection of previous editions, she really had to take matters into her own hands and like rely on her own collection, which she just so generously decided to share with everyone online. And I learned from her that she's not exactly the pioneer. She's following the footsteps of accounts like Sassy Scans on Tumblr, which posted pages from this feminist magazine called Sassy, which was really popular in the late 80s. And also Thank You Atusa on Instagram, which is an account that pays tribute to like Atusa Rubenstein of 17 oh, and Cosmo yes. Girls. Yeah, she was a hero to an entirely different demographic of teenage girls. So I think these accounts are like two things, really. It's like a time capsule that reflects the style and sensibilities of earlier years, but also just a love letter to these people behind these titles to show them that even if they ceased publication long ago, the impact of what they did really stays with their readers and really influenced them. And they're really remembered to this day. So, yeah. Yeah. It's really fun to go back and look at those scans. I so wish that I kept some of my magazines, but I have purchased, uh, I recently bought an old issue of J14 on eBay, which, which is fun to <laughs> sift through. And it's funny because I actually have it right next to me. And on the cover, you have J-Lo, you have Beyonce, you still have people wow. who are still relevant today. Oh, and I just noticed, oh, Aaron Carter is on the cover as oh, well. Um, but yeah, it's just wild to go back. It, it, these things really are time capsules. And it's it's crazy how just like an ad can bring you back to a product that you used to use or just really transport you to your teenage years. Um mm -hmm. But I'd love if you could share just a brief history of the teen magazine, because uh, I think like you, I really didn't get into these until our own childhood in the 90s. And I really only explored magazines of those days. But your article enlightened me that, you know, the teen magazine traces back decades before that. So can you share some of those details and history? Yeah, sure. I was also really shocked to find out that the teen magazine, as we know it, came to be in the 1940s. I read this amazing book called Everything I Need I Get From You by Caitlin Tiffany. I recommend it to all fangirls. But she said in the book that it was around the 1940s when psychologists had just identified teenagers as a distinct demographic because she said that far fewer young people were dropping out of school to earn money. So they had a lot of time to themselves to kind of craft their own identity independent of their parents. And marketers hadn't really thought of like speaking to this audience in the first place. So there were barely any products or services that spoke directly to this age group. And Seventeen magazine was the first to fill in this gap. I read that they had actually 
come to be because they wanted to help advertisers learn how to speak to teenagers. But in the process, they were also making this indelible mark on teenagers themselves because they were offering life advice. They were telling them like how to dress. They were updating them on their favorite celebrities at the time. And once it became like the powerhouse pioneer that it was, other titles like YM Teen People, they followed suit because they were like, oh, this seems like a lucrative business. Like this is something that's going to go big. And then eventually they were distributed internationally and it turned into the teen magazine that um, we grew up with. So, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It really was such an untapped market at the time. And, you know, teenagers, we didn't have a lot of money to to burn. But, you know, I would get sent to the mall with like a $20, $20 bill. My dad would just send me here, go have fun, go to the mall with your friends. And yeah, with that $20, I would weekend after weekend, I would buy a CD. And then with the few dollars I had left over, it would go toward, yes, Teen Beat, Tiger Beat, Teen People, one of these magazines, because they were so cheap at the time, too. I look at some of the magazines now and they're like $6. I'm like, back in my day, you know, $3.99 uh, could get you a magazine. Um, but you also, so yeah, you mentioned that teen girls for the first time were being targeted, um, you know, from a marketing standpoint. Um, so we know that just demographically by their age that, you know, this was attractive to brands to try to segment this age group. But your, your article also pointed out that teenagers and, and teen girls had a lot of commonalities just beyond their age. It also went into some of their interests. So what were their interests kind of beyond demographics, thinking about some of those psychographics and behavioral traits that teenagers have in common? During the early years of the teen magazine, these titles made like a lot of rookie mistakes in the sense that they seemed like hyper-focused on one very specific type of teenage girl. Like, she had to be wholesome and pure, and her interests were only ever within the realm of fashion and beauty in boys. But I spoke to the former editor-in-chief of Candy Magazine, my personal childhood hero. Her name's Marla Minyan Umali, and she said that teen girls are very multifaceted human beings, and that's a reality that a lot of teen magazines had to grapple with as they evolved, because teenagers are at the stage of their lives where everything is just interesting to them, and anything has the possibility of defining who they are. So eventually, Teen Magazine started to cater to artsy girls, rebellious girls, smart girls who are interested in what's going on in their immediate surroundings. Because I felt like it was a toxic stereotype before. Like, you ever notice how in early 2000s, like coming-of-age films, it's always like the the stereotypical dumb blondes, like the the cheerleaders who were spotted reading glossies while filing their nails. Yes. And I feel like before, like teen magazines were supposed to be associated with like vapid and self-absorbed teenagers. But the target audience of these magazines has and will always continue to evolve beyond like these very reductive images of what a girl is. So, yeah. Yeah, that is so well said. And honestly, that's how I remember and recall these magazines was yeah fashion beauty boys um even fitness it was all about like every issue was like you know how to get a six pack how to lose 10 pounds and it was also like how to lose 10 pounds so your crush will notice you or something yeah. along along those lines so it's it's wild to think about and, and look back on that but your article really made me realize something important you said that teen magazines helped with sex education 
And I never really thought of it that way. I thought of it just as like, oh, it was telling all these teenage girls how to be sexy and, and how to how to get a boyfriend and all these things. But you're right. There really was this educational layer to it that was important and teaching teenagers about safe sex. So how do you think teenagers today are getting this information if they're not reading teen magazines? And is it enough to keep them safe? A lot of people kind of have no choice but to flock to online spaces now, most especially TikTok during recent times. Because like this topic is still something that a lot of families, especially here in the Philippines, they kind of still struggle to discuss it with an open mind because of like our predominantly Catholic faith. I grew up in an all-girls Catholic high school and they really attempted to teach us like sex education, but it was kind of like in this regressive misogynistic way like it they would encourage us to kind of base a woman's worth on her purity which was so messed up and even if tiktok sets sex education today is kind of lauded for its comprehensive no holds barred and accessible approach i don't think it's still enough because as with all content published on that rabbit hole it's really difficult now to like verify if what these influencers are saying is correct or if they're backed up by evidence and while teen magazines aren't exempted from making the occasional mistake there's usually like an entire editorial team behind each issue that like serves as researchers and fact checkers and additionally it's this team that would make sure that the only type of sex ed content young girls would see is what they need to know or what they're able to process at a certain age because as much as I'd like to believe that the younger generation is open-minded or ready to learn anything, I still think like that 11-year-olds could easily come across like a three-minute explainer on what anal sex is. And I don't know if that exactly benefits her at her age or if it would just like lead to more confusion. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah and you're right. These magazines would also bring in experts. They would bring in doctors. Like everything would be vetted and, and fact-checked. And what I also think is interesting is that, sure, maybe teenagers today are getting this information on TikTok, but, you know, considering the way the algorithm is, I feel like they have to seek it out. Whereas mm -hmm. with teen magazines, like, oh, we would buy it for the fashion and for the, you know, the posters of the boy bands and stuff. And then we would just happen to encounter a thread mm -hmm. that was, you know, educational and about sex. And then we'd be like, all right, I guess I'm going to read this now. But I can't <laughs> imagine. I mean, I really don't know if teenagers are proactively looking for in information about safe sex and sex education. So, yeah, I just thought that was such a great point and something that I hadn't really thought about before. So for the teen magazines and the publishers that are still around today, and some of them have gone completely digital, but how would you mm -hmm. say their content has changed since the Y2K era, either since, um, you know, how has their, their subject matter changed or just their delivery and the topics that they cover? What is different? Yeah, I think teen magazines and publishers that are still around now have started evolving with their audience and catering to this more socially aware generation. One of my favorite transformations and one that like easily comes to mind is that of Teen Vogue because the way they shifted their content is so drastic in a good way. I had like a modest collection of Teen Vogue back in the day. And I noticed that um, they were very like Vogue for teens, very fashion oriented with like the occasional sprinkle of celebrity features and advice columns. But now their strategy is really 
inclusive of like more left-leaning political content, I look at their website regularly and they have like very extensive coverage of current events. They post explainers on topics that were never really considered palatable enough for mainstream media. Like they talk about immigration, race, and disabilities. I know their team even hosts like annual summits where they invite important people in the front lines of the fight for social justice and they hold talks for their young audience. And that ability to create a space outside of the screen is just so important. So I just feel like today's publishers are much more aware of the power they have to broaden perspectives and break echo chambers. And I also think they just know how urgently they need to do this and what's at stake if they don't wield the influence they have in the right way. So that's definitely changed since the teen magazines that I grew up with, for sure. Yeah, I'll have to pick up an issue of of Teen Vogue. I don't know if it's still in print. I'll have to check out their website. But yeah, I haven't I don't recall anything like that from from when I was reading these magazines either <laughs> to have such depth um, as far as the subject matter. Um, so that's that's really interesting to see. Um, I'd love to quote this uh, sentence from your article. You said, what ultimately drove the success these magazines enjoyed was their ability to tap into the lived experience of their audience and speak to them as well-meaning equals rather than condescending authority figures. Uh, I was wondering if you could share some examples of how they did this with with their content, maybe certain uh, spreads that they did or topics that they covered. How did they how did they do this? I think like when you're a young girl, obviously we know that we navigate like a lot of seismic changes at the same time. Like you don't like how your body looks, you don't fit in at school, your crush doesn't notice you, and your interests are often like dismissed for being too juvenile or like too insignificant in the grand scheme of things by adults that you try to talk to. So the themes behind these magazines would really like validate that what teen girls were going through and what we were interested in were all like worthy of being treated with like sensitivity and care. Like I like personally how teen magazines offered very legitimate and pragmatic solutions to problems, even if like they see they didn't really seem like the end of the world. <laughs> and they were like nothing compared to what we would have to face in adulthood. The writers would really treat it like this is an issue that needs to be solved and we really need to help her do it. And they would really like um they didn't seem like condescending or sarcastic because you could tell from the way they researched and the way they wrote about these topics that they really knew what they were talking about. It's like they had actually spoken to a girl our age who was going through something similar because a lot of adults they tend to like speak from a pedestal, you know, like, yeah. but these magazines were speaking directly to us. And that was just something so important to have at the time. Yeah, you're right. They would, they would speak at our level, but also without like dumbing it down. Like I said before, they would bring in experts or people that could talk to us. And cause they knew we were receptive to this information and we were maturing and, you know, eager to, to learn from these magazines too. And I just was so, you know, I always remember enjoying how relatable these magazines were with little things like the embarrassing moment sections and <laughs> all these things that just made it feel like you were less alone during these these awkward years of our lives. So, uh, yeah, I definitely appreciated that. Um, 
So looking back on these teen magazines as we knew them, though, do you think anything about them was damaging or toxic? I know in your article, you kind of called some of these these things boo-boos that, you know, (laughs) publishers did, which I thought was great. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think they were damaging for our generation? I do think, though, that it was like never the intention of these teen magazines to hurt or harm, but they were definitely like a product of their time. Because in their early days, I don't know, teen magazines would send really confusing messaging to girls. We were kind of encouraged to love our own bodies. But at the same time, when you look through the pages, they only ever feature the same conventionally attractive, fair-skinned, thin type of teenager. And we were told we had to dress modestly. But then we would see all their models were like all grown up in like sleeveless like tank tops and like skimpy skirts and stuff. And although they would say it was okay to have crushes on boys, God forbid we ever show interest because we wouldn't want to appear like easy or whatever. They would really espouse these conservative values as well. And if you saw these during a time in your life when you were at your most impressionable and you couldn't resonate with the content at all, it's probable that you would have like developed this longing to change who you are or think like, why can't I be like these likable, popular girls on these glossies? Yeah. Or at the very least, like these unrealistic standards of femininity would make you feel out of place because you lacked representation in the media that you consumed. I think this is something that a lot of modern teen magazines really strive to combat. So even if like they would have caused a lot of like internal confusion when you first see them. I don't think like the damage would have been as long term. So, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I I remember reading these magazines and it would make me think about myself and maybe wanting to make certain changes or think about how I was presenting myself. But I think one thing that helped me personally kind of balance this out is is I would read these magazines kind of with a grain of salt. But I had um, an older female cousin who I would kind of go to and and discuss these things with. And she kind of became Mm -hmm. like. I don't know, my men- my coming of age mentor, I guess you could say. And, you know, it, ma- it made navigating all this information that I was getting a little bit easier. And that brings me to the next point I want to cover. There is a-, a woman in your article named Michelle Tuazon, and she said that she had five brothers and that Total Girl magazine ended up being like a sister to her as she was coming of age, this print publication literally felt like a sister just as far as you know the information they were giving to her and and how she turned to this magazine um so my question is do you think the current internet or social media landscape offers a similar feeling for teenagers that kind of sisterhood um but more in a digital sense hmm I honestly don't think so, because even if we try to replicate that feeling of sisterhood or community on the internet, it's just not exactly the kind of community that flourishes online. I remember Marla, the editor-in-chief of Candy, she said something like super thought-provoking during our conversation about how a lot of the influencers that teenagers grow up with now or grow into are more of brands in themselves already you kind of touch on this in another question, so I guess I can answer that here too. But yeah. I guess like while the influencers of today also give their audience advice, they recommend products to them, much like the teen magazines we grew up with, everything from the content they put out to even like the persona they project online really just adds to their credibility and boosts their attractiveness as a product. 
uh, there has been this noticeable shift in the creator economy where like viewers have started demanding more authentic content like influencers suddenly post like messy photo dumps on yes. their formerly perfect Instagram feed or they write long captions about their insecurities rather than pretending that they don't exist but that has become something to capitalize on as well um brand partnerships and sponsorships were really part of how magazines operated in the past but i guess these were presented to readers in really subtle ways and they felt more like helpful suggestions from a big sister rather than like a push from advertisers and marla also says something about like maybe the reason why we no longer see brands as sisters is because we've become smarter consumers as well like we know that most entities we come across are driven by profit and that it's much better to just ascribe titles like sister or best friend to our actual sisters or best friends in life rather than brands. So yeah, I think it's just like um, a confluence of all of these factors that kind of make it like hard to ever have like a sisterly connection again in the current social media landscape. Yeah. And that's, that's really a shame if you think about it. I mean, we, the way you, when you put it that way, it's like the content that we consumed in these magazines, we knew was genuine. And now every time you read a post or you see something, you have to look for that, that sponsored hashtag because it's probably an ad. It's probably, you know, a brand deal and you have to wonder what's genuine and is there, you know, kind of a secondary purpose to this post. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine how that is affecting uh, teenagers of today. Um, I'd also love to touch on this this excerpt. I mean, just to add to what you've said so far, uh, there is a, a line in your article. You said, even as some of them shifted to digital, their consumer influence was no longer of the same caliber. Youth publications may still exist online, but they either publish only a handful of substantial and thought-provoking articles a month or they publish several several times a day and only ever bite-sized pieces of information that only count for clicks. So yeah, you definitely touched on this, just how this can affect teenagers of today. But is there anything else you'd like to add to that point? Yeah, I think the shift in content is something that affects teens as much as it is affected by teens. Because whether we writers like to admit it or not, nobody really likes reading anymore. Like (laughs) our audience's attention spans have become shorter than ever before. And if what you want to say takes longer than a few taps or clicks, you've lost like your viewer almost immediately. Because like even these multifaceted and layered issues can so easily be condensed into like a three minute TikTok or like a Twitter thread. So if it's longer than that, like people can just let go of it really easily. That's why a lot of publishers have noticeably started exploring like more short form content or like they rely a lot on the accompanying photos or videos for their pieces. Sometimes they even resort to like clickbait or fluff for the sake of capturing like whatever is left of the market. And by attempting to shorten everything these days, like we just run the risk of removing like the nuance or the context necessary to explore certain topics or like keep conversations productive they don't really get to make the same impact on the lives of the readers anymore because it's just something else that they see on their feeds now yeah there are endless feeds where there's just so much information it's all so overwhelming and there's just so much comparison going on and i think compared to 
magazines that we grew up reading, like we would always compare ourselves to the celebrities in the magazines, which we kind of knew was unattainable. Mm -hmm. There were these famous singers, these famous actresses, whatever it might be. But now with social media, these teenagers and young girls are comparing themselves to pretty much their peers, which I think is even more um, damaging potentially. Um, so it's it's been a, a kind of a hard shift to watch. And I think there's all this public conversation now about therapy and all these different things that, you know, teenagers might be going through it these days in a different way than maybe we could even un have understood. Mm -hmm. So um, also in your article, you spoke to someone named C.D. Despy, who credits teen magazines for inspiring her career in publishing, which I think is so cool. Uh, because again, like I said earlier, I kind of credit teen magazines for making me pursue kind of a creative career. So how do you think the internet and social media and newsletters and just the ability for everyone to have a platform these days, how has that changed the publishing industry and offered opportunities for people who want to write? Yeah, like Sidi made such great points during my conversation with her about how getting featured in her favorite teen magazines gave her work like a sense of both legitimacy and intentionality like legitimacy because she had to go through the super rigorous application process to get a spot on her favorite magazine's theme but also intentionality because not all ideas that she pitched could be published on print right so she really needed to bring her a-game contribute her best ideas and give like her best drafts all the time but now in the internet age, since anyone can be a creator, right? Anyone can make a blog, publish stories on Wattpad, create a newsletter on Substack. It takes only a few seconds to get your thoughts out into the world as opposed to like the month-long press cycles that used to be the norm. And it's a good thing, of course, because no one wants to gatekeep the act of self-expression from anyone. But at yeah. the same time, the sudden like influx of content has made it difficult to establish yourself as a voice that should be listened to and also to like assert your credibility because sometimes it doesn't even matter to modern audiences anymore if what you say is true or has been backed by evidence like sometimes all you have to do is go viral really and that can be pretty dangerous that is such an ex an excellent point i'd never thought about it that way that you know your your name isn't as recognizable if you are kind of uh, publishing across different outlets and you're not really known for maybe being in, in one specific magazine or especially being in print where month after month, if you're a subscriber, you start to see that name again and again and become familiar with their writing. But now it's just the digital world has really opened the door where anyone can publish and there's just going to be a lot more content from a lot more different writers. So yeah, like you said, it, it must be harder to establish yourself. But I do want you to know that your article made a huge impression on me and I will be looking forward to things that you write in the future. I'm wondering if there's going to be a part two or if there's more to this subject to explore, because I think you're really onto something with this. Um, and yeah, I would even love to hear from teenagers of today and, and how they're, they're navigating all of this and how we can compare that to our teenage experience. I think it's, it's all so fascinating. As a writer yourself, how do you think publishers could continue to adapt to this change and continue to serve teenagers the best that they can, given all of these circumstances and the way things are changed, what or way, the way things have changed? What should they do next? Mm -hmm. I think publishers 
feel that they finally cracked like the formula for targeting the teenage girl. But I think the best advice they could follow is that they never think that they ever will. Because like today's teens are shapeshifters, honestly. It's so impossible to pin them down or to assume that the way they act or what they care about today will hold true tomorrow. So if like for any title that wants to be in service of the teenage girl, just continue to meet them where they are. Like continue listening to them, honing in on the insights that they give you, like paying attention to their problems and like maintaining this genuine desire to help them solve it for themselves rather than to like solve it for them, I think. Because yeah. there is no guarantee of success anymore. I don't think they need to hear from me that the media industry is volatile. And there is also no merit in telling like publishers to push forward, even if like it's no longer logistically or financially feasible or whatever. But I hope that they remember that so many teenagers look up to them, regard their words as like gospel truth. And with that, there like, comes a certain level of responsibility and trust that they should never take for granted. So, yeah. Well said. Well, you never know. I think you touched on this in your article. It's funny that vinyl records have come back and maybe we'll see we'll see the same thing with our beloved yeah. uh, print magazines. You never know. You never know. I actually um, the, I, I teach a, a course online at the University of Florida and I have um, a lot of Gen Z students, not all Gen Z, but I did ask them if they are subscribed to any magazine still. And I, I was surprised that quite a few of them are. I think it's also Aww. become a great way to disconnect from you yeah. know having your phone in your hand at all times so so who knows maybe the the teen magazine will get a, a revival that it a, that it deserves because it's really shaped our lives and i it i'm sad to know that teenagers today aren't reading them the way that we did because i have such fond memories of it and i can't thank you enough for writing this article and sharing all of these um thought-provoking points and like I said, I'm going to link it in the description here. I hope everyone goes to read it. But is there anything else we didn't touch on that you would like to mention about this topic or anything that you are working on that you would like to share? Hmm, I have a couple more articles in the pipeline, um, but I'm not sure I'm allowed to disclose them just yet. You guys can follow me on Twitter. It's Angel Martinez, but the E in Angel is an X because I apparently share my name with many Spanish men. So yeah, <laughs> I post all of my articles there. I can say that the next ones I'm covering are about like pop culture and also politics. So it's a pretty wide range. Um, I also post them on my Instagram. It's Angelica Martinez and the E in Angelica is also an X. All so right. yeah. I will also link to your socials. Like I said, I am fascinated by your writing. I will look forward to whatever you write next. And I can't thank you enough for, for sharing this with us today. Thank you so much, Angel. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. If you're a fan of this podcast, be sure to subscribe or better yet, leave a review. For marketing wisdom with a pop culture twist sent straight to your inbox, sign up for my newsletter at briannefleming.com slash newsletter or find me on Twitter at Brianne2K. As always, thanks for listening.